0: No Fibs podcast. I'm Wayne Jansen and your host for this episode. I'm talking with the independent candidate for the Victorian seat of Nichols, Rob Friesley. Major centres in the electorate include Seymour, Yarrawonga, Echuca and Shepparton. At the 2014 state election, independent Susanna Sheed won the state seat of Shepparton from the nationals. Recently, the former federal MP from neighbouring Indi, Cathy McGowan, posted a tweet many, including myself, interpreted as an endorsement. Thanks for joining us on the Snowfibs podcast, Rob. Um, you've announced your candidacy, but you're not actually a voices candidate. Kathy McGowan's given you an endorsement. And the local voices group, Nichols, they've acknowledged that you're waiting to see their report before you go too far into policy, etc., so tell me tell me about why you're running, and and what you hope to to do for the the season, Nichols, if you do win. Sure. So if I kind of wind
1: things back a bit, uh, I've had a little bit of involvement with the Voices for Movement, uh, having a look at what happened in Indai, and trying to understand how that process worked. And as Voices for Nichols came together. Uh, I had a bit of a look at how that was working and I came to understand the people who were involved wanted to run something that was going to deliver the priorities of the community but not going to give us a, uh, a candidate. They were never going to select a candidate.
0: Right, so Nichols were never anything slip
1: on. That's what came together as they put their yeah. committee together and so forth. So that was happening, and I came to understand that bit of information, if you like. And at the same time that was happening, there's a few really big lever issues that are important for our community. Um, One, what's going to happen with the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, and that's got a a pretty hard finish in 2024, so it's in the next uh, federal term. And then also what's going to happen with uh, net zero emissions and you know, that all of that discussion was kind of happening at the same time as this stuff was going on in the background. So, um, I I was, I was probably thinking about those issues, thinking about that, and ultimately arrived at the conclusion, all right, if there's going to be a candidate, uh, I need to get involved and try and find someone to do that. And I spent some time talking to a few people as possible candidates, and mm-hmm. that wasn't for them. And as we were getting closer and closer to the time that really the National Party, which is uh, who the incumbent is in our seat, was about to head off to a meeting that talked about what the National Party position was on net zero emissions. I really, that was the moment where I thought, okay, well I really need to speak up now if I'm gonna do this because it's a key decision moment for for that party and I don't want them thinking we don't have to worry about nickels and this issue and a range of other issues. so uh i I had been kind of discussing it at home, and I wouldn't have said that I was immediately met with uh, joyous applause from my family a big change for the family too. it's huge, it's huge, you know like no sensible person wants to do this job and um so in that context, that was kind of rolling around as well in the background. there was you know maybe a dead duck for me also, and then on the Tuesday morning, I was in the shower and my wife walked in and said, you know, you can do this if you want to do it. And we announced on the Thursday night with no preparation, nothing (laughs) organised, no campaign team, uh, no strategy, just the knowledge that we wanted it to be out there uh, as soon as possible so that I guess in a competitive sense, um, our competition understood that there was going to be competition in this seat and part of that was going to be about holding them accountable around policy that affects Mm. our community.
0: So, you're looking to hold them accountable. Do you think you can win the seat?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, so if you look at the whole seat, a subset, an important subset is the the state seat of Shepparton. So, uh, give or take 50 years as a National Party seat, a surprise, independent uh, victory, and uh, six years ago, maybe longer, eight years ago, Susanna Sheeve. And then a really a good experience for the community where suddenly the state has uh, lavished investment on this part of the world, and I think the community broadly see that and understand that. So the idea of an independent is well understood within that area. In the broader seat, uh, Seymour, Echuca, Yarrawonga, Cobram, that's less well-known, and I've got a, a bigger job to get across those communities. But... Um, there there is there's that experience, and then there's I guess the winds of change in terms of where the national party are on a range of issues
0: yeah so thechuukas right must be right on the border via the yep. electorate
1: uh, no, so it goes it goes uh, well past Achuca to oh, okay. uh, Gumbauer is the is the furthest reach on that side
0: okay, but thechuca's yep. the main population yeah absolutely before yep. you get into yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it is it Mallee after there? Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: federal seat of Mallee.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because this electorate's of like, sort of more long than it
1: is. Yeah. So you start at Broadford, yeah. really on the you know, what's becoming the outskirts of Melbourne, and and Seymour, and then you come up and you join the Murray River, with, and then it
0: follows the Murray across. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a Bundalong at one end and Gumbower at the other.
0: So it's a lot of Murray. Yeah. Okay. So as as we were talking previously. What I find interesting about your candidacy, you're not a, you're not a Voices candidate, Ooh. you haven't been selected, but it, it kind of fits in with um, the original idea of the Voices that they're a voice to the member. And, you know, Voices Through and I originally in 2012 went to see Sophie, had their 11 minute meeting, and then it was all over and she dismissed them and their report. And one of them couldn't get in to see Dan Tien, and that's when they decided to run the candidacy their candidate or find a candidate I should say so you've jumped ahead a little bit and gone I'm running are you hoping to get eventually get an endorsement from the voices group look that what the voices choose to do is up
1: to them um, I just want to make sure that uh, I take the idea which is the the crux of the voices for movement which is uh, a community independent so everything in, about how I'm going about my engagement and drawing my ideas is very much um, around how I can understand deeply what the issues are that are important to the electorate and make sure that my policy platform reflects that within within the framework of my own values you know so
0: so what are the big issues in this in in, in Nichols
1: yeah so um, it's been a fascinating process to get out there and door knock and and so forth, so I feel like I know my electorate well, but uh, there's nothing like campaigning and door knocking to get to know it better so there's things that have reordered in the priorities um, really sitting at the at the top of the table and it's called different things by different people, but it's really about corruption, integrity, standards of behavior that sort of blended into something so Regardless of your background, my feeling is there's a lot of people in the community that are really they're just absolutely hung up full on that stuff.
0: That seems to be an issue that drags left and right and centre all yep. together. Yeah, totally. There's some issues that people can agree on across yep. the broad range.
1: Totally. So, yeah. So people are looking for a change on that front, and they see this as a way of trying to address that. So that's that's at the top of the table. And then it kind of depends on your uh, outlook maybe about what's important for you next. And some people are quite pragmatic and really just about, I want this seat to be marginal so we attract our fair share of investment. You know, there's this, uh, aging infrastructure. Um, we need to make sure that we are participating in the, the overall uh, economy and we need a little more love and attention in our part of the world than we've been getting. So. You get, you get a bit of that from some people. Others um, might be more around um, the treatment of women. Um, they might be uh, looking for climate change issues. So they're the sorts of things that I'm yeah. hearing from others. Um, and, you know, a, a, a very common theme, probably outside of the main communities, is about accessibility and engagement. So hey, it's great to see you here. It's really important for us that we've got a relationship with our local member. You know, how do we get in touch with you? How do we contribute? That's, there's a lot of warmth towards those ideas.
0: Yeah. So you're one of the, well, so far, you're one of two independent blokes running. Yes. All the rest are women. Yep. Um, The rest of the, again, you're not a Voices candidate, but you're wearing orange. And obviously, you're going to take on board the Voices when it comes to the, 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 I don't like calling it women's issues, it's probably more a men's issue really when yep. it comes yep. down to it, but how will you approach that issue, which might have pitfalls for a man to yeah, talk sure. about? And...
1: Look, um, I'm not suggesting for a minute that I can be a leading voice on this topic or, or whatever, but I think if you look at standards of behaviour in business, industry, community, they're miles ahead of where we are in our politics and uh, the company I run, I think we're probably 70 or 80% women in the company, and so I'm kind of used to that working environment, and I'm, I'm really just about trying to get to the place where the rest of society is. I'm not, I'm not looking to necessarily lead the agenda, but just to recognize we've got a problem, and I'm very happy to stand shoulder to shoulder and do what I can to, to change that. Yeah. So
0: tell me a bit about the business, because it's quite a big business. It's not a small business. It hasn't always
1: been so. Um, yeah, so we were uh, we were 20 staff when we, myself and my brother, got started. But over the years, things have evolved. Um, we're close enough to 400 staff now. Um, it's uh, commercial laundry. We have a, a main processing facility here in Shepparton, Maroopna, and we distribute to pretty much every town in Victoria from here. And... Um, it's uh, doing linen for hospitals and restaurants and aged care facilities and whatever, and it's given me a great opportunity. I've been in and out of every engineering works, aged care, hospital. You know, I, I really get how regional Victoria works as a result of that, and metropolitan Melbourne. To be honest, we've got a lot of clients down there too. But uh, you really, you, under, you when you're visiting those places, you're talking about what's happening for them. Are they hiring? Are they firing? What's what's uh, happening for them in terms of their costs or their labour force issues, all of that sort of stuff um, on one hand. And then on the other hand, um, our own employees, you know, they a very direct relationship with people uh, in our community from all walks of life. And that's a great way of understanding the pressures that they're under as well. So yeah, I think it's been a, a fabulous way to get really to really understand a whole lot of stuff about
0: how's COVID impacted your business oh it's been pretty horrendous (laughs) yes staffing troubles or um
1: look it's just a a really a really tricky time so um we have vacillated but we've spent a lot of the time at maybe 40 percent down on our normal turnover um at at different times we've had 100 or 150 staff where we've not had adequate work for them Um, uh, you know that's that's a a difficult thing to manage and then reopening and trying to snap back to normal volumes and (laughs) you know it's it's really been a a, a because there were some major
0: clusters in Shepparton yeah
1: yeah for sure for sure and uh, you know we would I, I couldn't tell you the number of cases we've had, not necessi- not transmission at work, but just in the community and then people coming yeah, to work. Yeah. So you know, everybody's got their PPE on and that sort of stuff. But it's um, its just been part of life now for a couple of years. And uh, we've got an amazing team and they've done a brilliant job of handling it, but it has been as tough as it's ever been to manage the, the amount of change and you know the ups and the downs and, and so forth. So, so yeah.
0: how, how do you... It's going to be tough managing a campaign with COVID hanging around. Have you put much thought into um, that side of the logistics of what if we had in a lockdown? What if restrictions are in so we can't hold events?
1: Yeah, I'm I just bringing the same thinking that we've had for running our business over that period of time. And, you know, in, in that, peop- people are now sick of talking about pivoting, because <laughs> <you know, laughs> it's sort of it means a range of <laughs> people will be going around a circles. circles that's right but the reality is you've just got to be flexible in your approach and there's always a way to get it done it just mightn't be the way you plan to do it so and and everybody's understanding now like if you if you set up an event and then there's a bit of a, a COVID issue and you cancel it and you put it online or you do whatever you do everyone gets that that's just necessary so yeah i think that's really how we're going to go about it and the main thing is that i'm Working hard and getting out and meeting people and hearing what they've got to say and you know there's a hundred ways of doing that.
0: Yeah. Have Have you been using any of the Zoom meetings and things like that so far?
1: Um, I haven't yet because I've been able to move around pretty freely and really we've been at a stage where we're getting all sorts of stuff set up because as I you know there was there was no beautiful plan on a piece of paper before we announced it mm-hmm. was a, it was a bit of a uh, rapid decision. And so there's been a, a number of community engagements going on at the same time. We're doing stuff like getting sorted out for a website and, and all of that sort of stuff. So uh, the time's coming,
0: though, for that, for that sort of stuff, for sure. Something I want to ask you, because you obviously you've had to get T-shirts and, and core flutes and things like that may help. Have you had trouble getting... Supplies?
1: Yeah, supply chain's a big issue for anybody doing anything at the moment. So, yeah, but I'm again, like every day of the week, we're managing that here yeah. um, in our company. So, I'm, I'm kind of used to that.
0: I'm just thinking latecomers might, you know, like people it's that are going to be in our might have trouble with a lot of those things. Yeah, totally,
1: totally. You know, if you've got an idea in your head that it takes four weeks to get something done, well, that's not how long it takes anymore. Everything's harder.
0: What size campaign team have you got? Have you got many volunteers yet?
1: Yeah, it's going pretty well at this stage. We're still early days, but we're somewhere in the 200s for our volunteer base. Wow. Um, that's, that's a lot of volunteers when you have. Com- a... Coming from scratch? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. And you're not coming from a voices Yes, backing. yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of supporting the community for the idea. Um, we've got that experience at state level, so people are used to the idea getting involved in their local politics. Um, yeah, so that's good. We've probably got something approaching 1,000 on our newsletter. I think we're 1,700 on our Facebook or something. So, you know, it's early days, and we need to do better than that across the but board. But that's a pretty good start. But
0: it's a good start, yeah. Especially, as I said, especially as you're not a voices candidate. Yeah. That's, yep. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with that. Yeah, <laughs> but, that. But,
1: but, but you've got to remember we're approaching... All of our engagement in very much in those styles we're, we're putting hubs together and teams together in each community and and people are um spending time with me doing q and a's and so forth so that they are contributing to the policy development process and
0: yeah so. okay so with your volunteers the voices have like sets of standards that they make their volunteers um, agree, well, that they ask volunteers to agree to it.
1: Yeah, do correct. you have a similar type of... Yeah, we do, we do. So we've got some values that we ask everyone to sign on to. It's a very simple document, but it just talks about standards of behaviour and it gives us somewhere to go back to. If things go wrong, uh, we can come back to that and sort of say, well, how are we going to resolve this issue? We're going to come back to our values and talk about those and then
0: use that as the tool to, to move forward. So. Okay. So climate change... Obviously, that's a big issue with, well, across the electorate, not, or across a lot of electorates. Farmers, how do they? What's farmers' attitude towards climate change? I've seen a shift where I am from outright denial to, oh, gee, I can see it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like and it's impacting my business. Yep. Is there a similar type of thing going on? There's right a here?
1: there's a wide range. It's climate change is not a hot issue in the electorate, um, and that. Could be for a range of reasons. We've been, just been through COVID and that's really front of mind for people. We're having one of the wettest and um, most unusually humid summers that we've had. in yeah, Tropics, <laughs> <up> back north. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, we're all, we're all humans and kind of creatures of the immediate. And the immediate is that there's plenty of water and not a lot of heat. And it's, it's easy to not think about these things. So it's not front of mind for a lot of the electric, but it is there For me, it's really important. I'm I'm really thinking about it more in terms of my experience with the Murray Darling Basin Plan, which is the last really big piece of environmental reform Australia attempted, and this community has got this excruciating, searing experience with that, where um, there was a huge amount of change and there was no um, compensation or offset or whatever done for that. For that change so you've got for example the small town that i grew up in was probably 300 active dairy farms my family had five children a uh, hundred and something acres all the kids were able to go through university my parents had a good standard of income and living and so forth mm. that community today has about two dairy farms left in it um, and it's all dry land irrigation uh, dry land country now vastly less productive so if you take that and then you look at what that means on the small towns dotted through this area it's really heavily settled and some of those small towns have had you know horrific impacts in terms of their social fabric and their economic opportunity and all of that sort of stuff so that's the last big piece of environmental reform of what happened here and i look at this and think there are inevitably going to be costs with uh, adjusting our energy system to a net zero base and it's it must happen and when it happens I want to make sure that our community gets to participate in the opportunities as well as we will inevitably have to deal with the costs like everyone else yeah. and the way I see it is that uh, there's going to be very significant investments that need to be made and if there's not a good policy structure and there's not good advocacy, they're gonna go to the communities that have good advocacy and not necessarily the logical places for them. And this community here has one of the most intensive agricultural regions that there is in Australia. So there's a huge biomass here, enormous opportunity for uh, bioenergy, um, ag waste to, uh, green gas as an example, those sorts of investments. And that requires forward thinking, advocacy, engagement, and it's a real opportunity for our farmers to be part of that that change and to benefit from it. But at the moment, all the policy discussion is focusing on how do we preserve fossil fuels and find ways to capture those carbon emissions. There's no smart thinking going on about how the, the
0: opportunities are right under our nose here and how the community benefits from them. because totally you know like it's all very well if you build a huge um solar farm there but yep. if it's owned by a mob overseas or down yep. in melbourne the local community
1: it, they're not a big job generator and the reality is there will be there will be and there should be solar in this region but actually uh we can extend the distribution network to more or less anywhere, with cost. I mean, and you, you know, there, that's, that's a real thing for mm. consideration. We cannot extend the soil base that we have in this country. And this is some of the best soil in the country, coupled with access to irrigation that can uh, continue to be a really important part of the food bowl, and also linking to that bioenergy opportunity. Now, if we build solar farms over the top of those soils, That's actually not a good outcome. So, you know, this requires a much deeper thinking and a time horizon that goes beyond five or ten years. And we need to be thinking about where we're putting those solar farms, which we do need, but also complementary sources of, of green energy. And I think this community's really,
0: like, got a huge opportunity. So... Community energy projects like the one that you'd know about Yakadam. Mm. Is there much appetite in this electorate for something similar to that?
1: Yeah, this, the, things are just starting to get going. So, uh, I think there's a, a meeting in Avonall and the in the next uh, three or four weeks, both of which I'll go to. And you know, people are making inquiries and so forth. But you know, we're at the early, early stages of it. But there is, there is an interest for sure. One of the things I'd love to talk a bit about when we come to energy is the my experience as an industrial energy user. Yeah, uh, go for it. Yeah. Because that's
0: something not many candidates can
1: speak for to. Yeah. So yeah, so there's there's how we talk about net zero energy in the everyday media, and then as someone that uses a lot of energy, you know, we we put a hundred kilowatts system on the roof here and i can't notice a difference in our bill because of the, <laughs> the scale of our electricity bill and our gas bill is vastly larger than that right. all right now there's so many processes in factories in this region food processing thermal processes that are very difficult to transition across to electricity so you look at all of the subsidy and focus for renewable energy In the recent past has been towards solar and wind typically in Australia and which is great look I've got uh, I think that's good and we we need more of those but there's this glaring gap which is the opportunity in green gas biogas gas generated from uh, waste food or um, agricultural waste or you know uh, sewage farms etc that can be coupled to that industrial need for thermal processes and the the idea that we're going to be able to do all of that with electricity people are failing to understand the engineering required to do that it's theoretically possible but it's going to take a while beyond a while like uh if you um carve up the total amount of energy that's used in victoria um there's give or take a you know a quarter or something approaching that that's the current electricity grid and of that quarter there's maybe a quarter of that that's currently renewables so the rest of it diesel petrol natural gas shipping fuel if we burden the electricity grid with the entirety of that demand the scale of the upgrade to the grid i think is unachievable in the time frames available so that means we need a systematic approach to a variety of energy sources, so talking about hydrogen, um, biogas, etc., to bear some of the burden. So it's not to say the things we're not doing are important. We just need to open new fronts in that battle, so that we're going to get there in a way that is going to maintain a standard of living and keep costs under control, and so. And forth. keep certain industries running. It well, the ones that we use to eat and live and drive and mm. so forth. So you, you know, ultimately, if we if we choose a series of solutions that um, interfere sufficiently with people's quality of life or access to employment or whatever, we use it, lose our social licence and everything goes out the window. So to keep that social licence, we need to do a transition in a way where people can keep their job and their standard of living and so forth,
0: or they're not going to continue to support it. So, okay. so if we go back to COVID for a minute, uh, it's a vexed issue, COVID, um, Politically, it's a vexed issue because there's lots of different opinions out there. But you're going to be asked about a range of different things with COVID. What would be your approach if you were elected? What would be your approach to handling COVID, to managing the pandemic, let's say? Uh, obviously, you're not going to be part of a government, but you know the speaking part. Yep. Um, what would you take in there? Um, look,
1: firstly, I've got to acknowledge that anybody's brilliant with twenty twenty hindsight, and nobody knew all the things that we know now at the start of the pandemic. Uh, having said that, I think there was pretty clear indications from regional communities that the uh, the approach that was being taken in regional communities for hard lockdowns, when there was nothing happening in any of those regions, you know it was it was being clearly voiced then that was it necessary to lock down the entire state all of those times when there was no COVID in you know if you take a place like Mildura or here or whatever there were plenty of occasions where we were locked down for a sustained period and that wasn't in our community so that's probably the you know the first thing that I would mention now that's all history, you know, yeah. your, your questions about the future. Although it may,
0: who knows what's going to happen with yeah. COVID in the
1: future. It's, yeah. Um, uh, uh, the, the number one issue you take out of this is we're typically not on the front line. We've been, The whole way through COVID, we've been three months, six months, whatever, behind the rest of the world. And for human nature, for whatever reason, does not seem to be able to look at the experience of other countries and say to us, hey let's get ready because this is what they're mm. facing there and I mean the rats is the 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 just the outstanding example of that you know but my wife's Italian and her family in Italy have had, have had rat tests in their cupboards for a year more or less before suddenly we needed them here you know and <laughs> they have probably got Australian rats <laughs> <laughs> and and I like for me from a business planning perspective like that was as you know, as, as obvious as the nose on your face, that we were going to need them, um, and yet we failed to to plan for that. So, I feel like that is the the takeout. L- let's use the the experience of other locations that are ahead of us on the curve, and then plan for those developments as they come in. We're not nobody's going to get it all right, but uh, there's it is an error of judgment to say we well, couldn't have known, and well, we knew that. We yeah. knew that for sure. We just cho- chose not to act on it. That somehow we knew better.
0: Your campaign doesn't have quite the same area as a lot of as a lot of the um, rural electorates. Some are huge, you know, like if you've got Mallee and mm. Wannum, you've got a smaller area. But from what I've seen, travelling around this area, quite diverse communities. Totally. Like Shepparton is completely different to say Rushworth. Yes. Obviously, there's different political attitudes in there and different concerns. How are you going to mix all that and yeah, I think bring all the... that together? I mean, really, that's, that's how you're going to win is by bringing all of those things together. Yes. And... and so
1: it, I don't think it matters what your community looks like. You expect to be able to see a GP and get an adequate treatment when your parents arrive at that time in their life that they need support, that they can get adequate care from well-trained people and that, you know, sometimes those changes come on quickly and therefore that the, the support is available at the moment that you need it, yeah. that you can drive on roads that are structured appropriately, that the children of the community have reasonable access to university and education and, you know. So the, the, my view is that services and infrastructure are common across every part of the electorate and that the yawning gap between regional Australia and the metropolitan areas and and the fact that we are home to some of the biggest exporters in this state yet we don't have the services and the infrastructure to support it so we're generating the income and the economic activity but our residents are being treated as second race. Sheppard is
0: quite an industrial. I mean for a, a farming district it's actually quite an industrial town as well, it is
1: absolutely it? Yeah. yeah it's a it's a diverse economy you you go into a lot of
0: i, I keep coming back to shepherd because it's i think it's the largest
1: town it's the largest area. town in the electorate yeah um and to some extent you know if you drive the industrial streets of echuca there's a lot of food manufacturing and so forth there also um and to a lesser extent uh in in seymour but it's certainly an important part of the electorate there's a lot of big food processes and so forth in the region
0: yeah yeah it's just like as i said to me the the electorate is just so diverse yeah but when i look at it it's yeah i mean a lot of electorates are but you're for a small electorate yeah what i'm getting at yep but you what did you say you said you've got 200 volunteers that's right that's pretty good for an electorate of that sort your size, uh, this size. Yeah, I mean it is still quite a large area. I guess compared yeah, yeah. to a city electorate, it'd,
1: it'd be a good—I don't know—two and a bit hours from the top to the bottom drive, I suppose. So, yeah.
0: What, what sort of age, ages are the, your volunteers? Uh,
1: mostly older, but not exclusively. It just comes down to who's got the. And I, actually, when I say that, and I think a bit more about it. They're not the ones that tend to be more active are older. Mm-hmm. But the volunteers that are on the books, the age distribution is probably a bit more normalised. So, obviously, you know, people are in that key age of child rearing or going to uni or doing whatever. Don't have as much time. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's probably when I think about it, more like it. Yeah.
0: Um, I have a sneaking suspicion this this election, is, the youth vote is going to be quite important for a lot of, in a lot of electrets. Mm. Um... How, well, what to put it another way, what sort of issues do you think are big with the kids? <laughs> yeah, so if, if you
1: read the paper or watch the news, you would think that climate change would be the top of the tree for youth. And my experience is that it's important, but that uh, housing affordability, how am I going to have a future that looks like the life that my parents have had that type of
0: conversation is actually the primary conversation do you, do you think kids well I'm going to say kids I'm talking you know 18 to, to 25 Yep. so a lot of them move out to go to uni or whatever Yep. you think there's a desire they want to come back but sometimes they feel there's nothing here for them if they do come back um, because that's the <clears throat> that's that was a lot of the catalyst behind the 2013 campaign in Indi was it was not driven by kids, but that. Well, when I say kids again, I, you know, yep. like I'm thinking 18 to 25 ish yep. years of age. They were a big part of it because they wanted to come back yes. to Indi. They yep. wanted to go back to their home. Yep. Do you think there's a an appetite there? A COVID's. We don't really know what the
1: actual data is, but anecdotally, COVID's driving a lot of people to the regions. Yeah, and you know, we've sold—I understand—close to four years of housing land supply in, in the last twelve months. So you know, there's lots of stuff happening in that. That's probably biased towards a, a younger, going to start a family, has a young family type group. From again, anecdotally, not not based on any data. Um it just comes down to the opportunity and i think the ability to zoom and to uh have a, a more connected rail service with the city so that you can you can live here and you might work two days in melbourne and three days here those sort of possibilities are going to drive a lot of that that activity so um if if we get that balance right i think it delivers the possibility right now we're seeing it is that a permanent change or a, or a Temporary change, I don't know.
0: There was... Uh, didn't a new line, or they've just replaced the line down in Melbourne recently? There's, a, there's a,
1: been a $600 million uh, upgrade of the line to Shepparton, and yep. uh, you could pretty well pin that on the fact that we have an independent at a state level. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, because I, now when I was speaking to Alex Dyson, the one candidate, he was saying that he used to travel but when he was at uni, Travel back to Wondon, or back to... to uh, he named the ground, I'm guessing it was in yep. um to play footy on the weekend. But it was really annoying because the trains were so bad. Yeah, yeah.
1: So yep.
0: That, that connectivity issue is in, in the electorate. Yep. And not just in public transport, or not just trains. But what about... Because I noticed it was really big in Mallee. Every town I went to in Mallee at the last election, everybody talked about buses for kids so they could go somewhere other than just kicking about the streets in the local small town. Yep, yep. So that, that, those connectivity issues, which also includes internet, which can be pretty terrible in a lot of rural areas. Yep. How big are they? They're big. Um,
1: we, we have benefited from some really good rollout under the NBN, so there's some great coverage within the electorate, and there's some small coverage so, um, mobile, again, it, it's quite variable, but there's definitely stuff that needs to be done to, you know, that yesterday I was in Tatura and, in a uh, a suburb that basically didn't have uh, mobile coverage. So it, it it drifted in and out, but essentially you couldn't make a decent phone call. So Yeah,
0: which, and then if you want to use data, well, forget yep. it. Yep.
1: Yeah, because that's right. So nice. it's, you know, it's still an issue and it's a tough one, but... Uh, you've got to, you've just got to consistently work at it, and it's so important to be to have that connectivity now. But you know, if you're trying to develop that idea that people can work remotely and have a life here and still be connected, maybe to other opportunities at, across Australia or the world, then yeah,
0: yeah, especially with so many people moving out of Melbourne in and into the yep. regions, yep. they're expecting. To be able yep. to do that yeah i've heard lots of stories of people suddenly realizing they can't work from home and yep. bought yep. property yeah 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 yep. that is a so, really big issue yeah yeah the uluru statement from the heart mm. yes maybe about bloody time
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> so when i started this process i would have been the about bloody time type position and what I have arrived at is, actually, it's not my choice, it's my community's choice. Mm-hmm. And I need to do better at making sure that everybody's on the same page and that is for sure what they want. And I there is a diversity of views, even within the Indigenous community, about that. Yeah. Um, and that that's probably something that I've uncovered through my campaigning process. So I guess uh, an easier question to answer is... Indigenous representation of some form in that, that meets the expectations of uh, my community, as in my Indigenous community, and that we do a better job in trying to find ways to do better by the Indigenous community overall are really high priorities for me. But uh, is, that, is that the answer?
0: Probably, but not
1: definitely, yeah. So, so
0: you'd, like, you'd like to see
1: more discussion between groups well really we're early in the campaign and yeah. i'm i'm still at a time where uh I've, ha- I've got the relationships that i've got within the indigenous community and this process of campaigning is opening me up to more people and mm-hmm. different groups and i want to make sure that i hear all of those voices before i say bang this is what we're yeah, doing because there is a
0: wide range of views yeah. within the indigenous community yeah. i, I Understand that myself. Yep, yep. Even just you know the the order in which things are done, there's yep. quite a bit of. Um, no, I wouldn't say disagreement, but there's a lot of discussion about yep. which is the best way to way do forward. things. Way
1: forward, yep, so. Yep. so so you know, a- a- am I going to engage deeply around those issues and look to do better? Yes. What does that look like? I haven't settled on that
0: yet. Okay. Something that I've noticed in. Most of the the reports, and including even back when um, in 2013 at the height of of the Abbott stop the boats, that was an issue in Indai. It probably wasn't an issue in the media so much in Indai, but it was at every forum and what's your position on refugees? How are you going to approach that issue? Um, Because it can be a vexed issue, and some people have really definite ideas about it. But I look at that campaign and Kathy and the way she handled it, she completely disarmed the whole scare campaign that mm. the Libs were running, um, to the point where she effectively turned the community around. Mm. So um, what I'm
1: seeing is that uh, within this community we have uh, a lot of refugees mm-hmm. and broadly a long history of migration and success with that migration. Uh, so it's... It is, there's a high regard for the benefits of migration broadly in the community. Um, that within our community we have, and it's an unknown number because there's no data available, but we have a lot of people here on temporary t- protection visas, and we're seeing circumstances where they've been in this country 10 or 12 years, and they don't have access to adequate healthcare. Their children may not be able to go to university, and that's not always well understood in the broader community here. so when I talk about those issues, people are pretty outraged that that's the case that yeah. there can be a kid that's really sounds like an Australian and has lived here for most of their life and they're, excluded. Uh, they're being excluded from from opportunity and that you know you come back to that founding value in, in Australian culture of fairness and uh, I, I think that really upsets people so my view is there's some really easy work to deal with that that, that you, there's broad community support if you can start having a conversation about those sort of changes and that uh i'm talking about it in terms of we're a wealthy country we want to do we want to be uh feel good about how we behave in our region in the world and take our fair share of refugees and have a responsible approach to that and is is our approach of uh, holding people for, you know, give or take a decade at a time, it, what is that actually delivering as a as a benefit to us? It's it's sullying the soul of the country, yeah. and is it really having an impact on the the risks associated with you know un, unplanned arrivals via boat and, and this sort of thing? So I'm I'm very keen to see changes around that. It's a really complicated. You you if you're going to have this conversation you have to acknowledge that there are risks associated with an an unchecked or open door approach that is going to result in a loss of life potentially. So you do need uh, a plan that is honest with the community about that as well. But I think we can do a whole lot more than we're doing. And um, I think that everybody will agree on the idea of wanting to feel good about how we behave as a country and how we treat the most vulnerable people. So I think there's yeah. lots of opportunity for
0: improvement. So ICAC, Helen's Bill. Yep. Support? Yes, no? I'm going to give you another wiggle. <laughs> uh,
1: so so uh, the short version is probably, but what I'm doing with a group... Uh, that are involved in my campaign is just going through and doing the. These are all of the anti-corruption models. These are the pros and cons of what exists, including Helen's Bill, and sitting down and having conversations about that. But if you were to ask if you were to ask me to bet where we're going to end up, that's probably yeah, where we're going to go. Through go. The process, but right? I, I want people who have more expertise in this than me, and I've got some amazing people uh, involved to make sure that we land on a spot that has been thought through and we understand what it is that we're we're committing to and, you know, going from there. And that's really, you know, you're independent. Um, you need to make that with every piece of legislation. You've got to arrive at the point where you've got an understanding and you've got a considered view, and that's how I'm approaching this. Is there
0: anything else that you wanted to touch on? Uh,
1: look, we can go wherever you like, but if I wanted to talk about themes i think it would be uh about the opportunity like so often we talk about our communities in a deficit language and there's lots of really you know disjoint (laughs) we've we've built this in a regional community that everybody slags off and talks about in a way like it's you know there's not not good opportunity here and there's, there's so much good opportunity and that's really the approach that I want to take to kind of revitalising some of the hardest hit communities in our region. I think there's a lot we can do here we just need somebody to have a think and a look and that we can do a lot. Yeah Yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you the same thing that I asked Alex Dyson down in Warnham, if you win, what's the first thing you're going to do? Panic <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what is the first thing that I'm going to do I think I've got to get my skates on pretty quickly to get organised with the team that I need around me and I'm probably going to pick up the phone to a few people that I trust that have um, walked this path before me for some advice about what I need to put in place so I'm not, I don't have to reinvent the wheel um, I'm going to thank the community and the people that helped put it together and then I'm going to work my bum off to deliver the stuff that I've promised, I suppose. That's really probably roughly what it looks like.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, really. <laughs> thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this NoFibs podcast. Until next time, goodbye.